Hi, and welcome to All Things Cozy with Matt and Jillian, a bi-weekly podcast about everything that is warm, soft, and comforting. This year, we're making the Yuletide gay by discussing two groundbreaking and potentially cozy Christmas films, Hallmark Channel's The Christmas House and Hulu's Happiest Season, that prove once and for all that gay people also celebrate Christmas. <laughs> Joining us to put up the LGBT tinsel are the Jolly Elves from the Linoleum Knife podcast, film critics Dave White and Alonzo Giraldi. Welcome back on the show. Oh, it's lovely to be back. It's always, always a pleasure and an honor to be on All Things Cozy. Oh, that means a lot. Thank you. I'm, I'm a huge yes. Linoleum Knife fan. Um, I'm a subscriber. I'm a patron. I love yeah. your show. And it would not be the holidays without having you on. So thank you for being here. Thank Our you. Our pleasure. We miss y'all. Yeah, we, we miss, miss you guys too. too. Before we dive into these queer holiday films, let's check in with what's making us feel cozy this Christmas. Uh, what's making us feel cozy this Christmas is the thing that has been making us feel cozy all year long, and that is our apartment. <laughs> <laughs> we are, as, uh, uh, as many people are, we are at home. We are very lucky in that uh, we are not out in the front lines. We are not... Uh, essential workers. We are film critics. Probably the definition of non-essential. <laughs> yeah. And so we have worked at home all this time. You know, before before the pandemic, we worked at home largely. Alonzo had film festival programming work and uh, was off in the office doing that sometimes. Uh, but for the most part, we're here at home writing and doing podcasts. And so it wasn't a big jump for us. But what happened this year is that when you are in your home all the time, you realize that maybe even more than you did before, that that the space you live in sort of keeps you. And so if you will keep it, <laughs> you're, you'll, you'll, you'll weather through stuff, you know, a little more easily. Um, now, as for Christmas... Uh, we've had to rethink the way we decorate the apartment, and we are big Christmas decoration people. We are such big Christmas decoration people that we have an alt Instagram account that is just for our Christmas decorations. It is called DXAX Tree. That's Dave Alonzo Tree with little X's in the middle. And the thing about it is that we used to put Christmas decorations in every room of the apartment, but ain't nobody coming over to you in every room of our apartment this year. <laughs> when, when one guest or one uh, quarantining couple comes to our home, they walk in the front door and they immediately go outside to the balcony that, that uh, runs the entire length of our apartment and that you access through the living room. Fortunately, it is a five-step walk between the front door and the balcony. All the decorations in our apartment this year are in the front. They're all in the, in, the, in, the, in the living room so that when that person walks in and takes their five steps, they can see everything. <laughs> full, you can take it all in. Christmas. Pretty genius. When they get out to the balcony, we have, we have uh, set up the balcony in such a way that we no longer 
have just nothing out there. We have a little table that people can have snacks on. We have uh, uh, a row of mason jar votive candles lining the entire uh, situation. We I've have seen pictures of very cozy. Little twinkly lights, <laughs> little twinkly lights. And we bought for the very first time a three-foot-tall Santa Claus blow mold that you oh, used wow. to be vintage a vintage one like the kind you used to see on people's front lawns before everyone started using the inflatable stuff we have that outside so santa claus your best friend is always out there <laughs> keeping you company if you are on our balcony uh enjoying breezy friendship cross ventilation time 15 <laughs> feet away from us wearing face shields Nothing cozier than face shields and cross ventilation. <laughs> well, there's also a space heater for when it gets, yeah. starts getting. You know, oh wow! You got everything. Poor, and you know, we got your little space heater too. If you come over, because it's going to get chilly out there at night. And if you come over after 4 p.m. when the sun sets, then you need to be warm. So uh, yeah, we we thought it all out. That's amazing. I really love what you said about how your apartment. If you keep it, your place will keep you. My husband is so good at that. I actually woke up this morning and he had reorganized the entire refrigerator. The kitchen was redecorated. I, I don't know. It's what he does at night. I go to bed like at 10, 11, and he's up until like two in the morning being an organizer elf, I suppose. He's making the shoes, right? Exactly. And it's amazing. I'm more of the person who would definitely just decay in my place. Like I would, you would just find me underneath like piles of like Magic the Gathering cards, playing video games, like unaware of what's happening from the outside world. So I'm very grateful for him for doing, for, for making sure that our place is livable. Um, but that sounds amazing. Yeah. And, and absolutely follow that Instagram account. That was a DX. AX tree. It's really cute. And Christmas decorations features Christmas decorations that you'll never knew existed. (laughs) (laughs) And they just all have this really charming bizarre flair to them you have very good christmas taste i think your balcony deserves its own instagram account well there's a little video of the balcony on the dxax tree account that everyone can look at um but they can't come over (laughs) 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 jillian what's making you feel cozy well for the first time we bought thanksgiving dinner out so not takeout but from an actual thanksgiving menu that a our local restaurant called Jewel created. And as you know, I've talked about with you guys before, I have issues cutting. <laughs> so it t- took a lot of the pressure off of us uh, to make Thanksgiving just for food, just for us, of course. But uh, we got mushroom gravy, glazed yuba roulade filled with cornbread stuffing, and then whipped Japanese potatoes with garlic cream and shaved chestnut. And it was just so wonderful. Like it's decadent and just magically appeared. Um, it, it was, it was wonderful. I, we've never done that before. And it was just, it was just it's perfect. Um, just don't have to worry about cooking, no knives involved. So that no was cutting. Way, way, That's way amazing. Me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Still haven't learned. I also got a food ninja. So that has, um, taken off the weight off my shoulders with finding the right temperature to cook. I just throw it in there. And so that's been helpful too. So basically no effort is my theme for 2020. It's very relaxing. And that's yeah, peace of mind. Yeah. What was your favorite part of the meal? I would have to say the Japanese sweet potatoes. It's very creamy. Shaved chestnut really brought it all together. I don't think I've ever had Japanese sweet potatoes before. So it was awesome. 
That sounds mm. great. My husband made a pumpkin pie homemade for the first time, and it was great. And we did a lot of like homemade stuff. Um, and it was the one benefit we missed our family, but it was 100% like our vegetarian flavors. <laughs> so like <laughs> there was nothing we couldn't eat. That was at least one trade off for us. <laughs> did you at least like zoom with the Chicago Pivovarchicks? We did a FaceTime, yes. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Where they all marveled at our hairs. Both of our hairs were really long at this point. Um, so when my aunt said I look like Joe Scarborough, so <laughs> oh, like a really that's high a very <laughs> interesting so, comparison. You know, it, what's what's amazing about technology is you can still be insulted by your family on Thanksgiving, <laughs> and that's the best part about it. Well, Joe does have that flop, so yeah. I'm imagining you have like a flop. <laughs> Oh, do I ever? Oh, uh, we, we've been Zooming with my family once a week uh, for this whole thing. And somebody has to make some comment about my beard every week without fail. Uh, because I have, I'm, I'm, I'm fully into like Santa Claus slash Walt Whitman territory right now. <laughs> I haven't had a haircut since Valentine's Day. Uh, but yeah, they just, they cannot let it go. It is a magnificent beard in all okay. fairness. It is. I agree. <laughs> every time they every time his family goofs on it i just think it ain't for you i don't I'm not, i don't think it i say it it ain't for you <laughs> <laughs> come back yeah. uh very very frankenfurter um, <laughs> what's making me feel cozy is the vicar of dibley is returning for Ooh. three 10 minute lockdown holiday specials which sounds oh, like yeah. You call something a lockdown holiday special, it sounds like, did I go to jail? They actually call it that? They do, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so they're re-airing the show for the holidays, and after the re-airs, they're going to have like these 10-minute segments and then release them all. It's like a 30-minute episode. Basically, the the new episodes are um, Don French as Geraldine Granger, reflecting on this crazy year um, for everyone, but also for her country and her parish. Uh, during which she has developed, she's been delivering sermons over Zoom. So I think we're going to get those Zoom sermons is what we're mm-hmm. going to get. Um, Vicar of Dibley, I mean, if you're listening to this show, you've heard me talk about this before, but for new listeners, it's a British comedy series about a boisterous female minister who comes to serve in the small town of Dibley. And that's full of, it, you know, at first, like conservative, like, oh, we don't know how we feel about a female minister, but really it's just full of eccentric characters, a lot of just crazy humor. And the series ran properly from 1994 to 1998. So it's been a long time since there have been episodes, but they did come back for Christmas episodes. So I always love this show around the holidays because if, in terms of the body of work, it is like 25% Christmas episodes. It's a very Christmassy show. Mm. Um, and sadly, while so many of the original cast members have passed away, including Emma Chambers as Alice Tinker, Roger Lloyd uh, Pack as Owen, and John Bluthall as Frank, it is still great to be visited by Geraldine, and I'm really looking forward to a cozy return to Dibley. Nice. A thing I've really been enjoying is uh, there are a lot of um, podcasts that are year-round that are devoted to Christmas. In fact, there's a whole sort of Christmas podcast network. And these are all shows that I listen to periodically throughout the year and keep up with on social media. But you can tell, like, how excited they all are to really be in their moment. 
You know, because they're the ones who like literally as soon as August is done, they start talking about the Burr months. Like they, they want to just sort of lock down the whole last third of the year as being like, <laughs> well, we're pretty much Christmas now. We can talk about this. And then they kind of get through October and it's sort of like, you know, they'll throw in here's some Christmas horror movies or let's talk about the Nightmare Before Christmas again. And then in November, it's really kind of revving up. And it's like, yes, there's some lip service at Thanksgiving. But boy, now that Thanksgiving is over, bam. Kadam, it's all it's all happening. <laughs> Off to the races. Exactly. So it's just it's, it's fun to see all these different shows and podcasters who have been thinking about the holidays all year round, which admittedly, so have I. Um really kind of just, you know, feel like they have they have finally arrived at their moment. So that's been making me feel cozy. It's been such a hard year. I think we're all trying to find every ounce of joy we can. I know we started putting up our decorations pretty early. It's just been so nice to listen to like podcast episodes that are holiday themed or the TV shows. And actually that's a perfect segue into our main topic today. Diving right into Christmas movies. As soon as Thanksgiving was over, I like, I binged watched a ton of them already, <laughs> including the Christmas Chronicles too. That's oh, I what desperate too. I am for Christmas content. I actually really find that series charming, but that's I, a whole I other like topic for another day. Hey, they referenced the Yule Cat. I figured y'all would be all over that. Yeah, I, I bet Jillian was screaming like at her at her TV. She was so haunting excited. my nightmares. The Yule Cat. <laughs> Get those fresh sweaters, also that thing will eat you. Um, and so let's go into these new movies, which not only are serving us holiday coziness, but are really designed. I mean, they're for everybody, but they're really for the first time in a mainstream way addressing gay audiences. So we went, went into kind of spotlight these movies that are kind of groundbreaking in their own way both the hallmark movie the christmas house which is the first hallmark christmas movie to feature a gay couple not not in the lead but close to it mm. <laughs> they're they're key supporting characters and then of course really front and center is the lesbian couple in the happiest season which um is on hulu let's start with the hallmark channel movie the christmas house I'm going to do a quick synopsis, and then we can kind of talk about what we think about it. I'm really interested in hearing everyone's thoughts on, is this a cozy movie that you would return to year after year? So we'll get to that question, um, and and then our our thoughts in general. So it's about Mike Mitchell. Okay, he's the star of Handsome Justice. He's a TV lawyer, played by Robert Buckley. Handsome Justice and his brother Brandon, who's played by Jonathan Bennett, Brandon is the is the gay person. <laughs> His husband's name is Jake, played by Brad Harder. They're all summoned home to help their parents, played by Treat Williams and Sharon Lawrence. Treat Williams, by the way, is in every Christmas thing this year, for whatever reason. <laughs> and the parents summon them home to recreate their famous Christmas house, which is their family home decorated to the nines and open for tours on Christmas Eve. While home, it's a Hallmark Channel movie, so of course this is going to happen. Mike reconnects with his childhood crush and former magic partner, Andy, played by, by Anna Ayora, who lives next door with her son from a previous marriage. Meanwhile, Brennan and Jake um, anxiously await the call approving the adoption of their first child. And as the Mitchell family prepares for the Christmas house, they soon discover their parents call them back to share more than just a memorable holiday. What are our thoughts on the Christmas house? Is it, is it cozy? Did it deliver all the Christmassy goodness that you were looking for in a Hallmark Channel movie? Well, what stood out to me the most was that the cast actually seemed as if they wanted to be there, which for, <laughs> for Hallmark is a rarity. Like most of the time, it seems like they're slipping up to Vancouver to do their, you know, 10th, 10th movie. Hard but, labor. Yeah, but 
this I I thought they all had a, a great energy and that brought a coziness to it because it it felt it it felt exciting. Maybe it's because the cast knew that this was um, a, a groundbreaking movie, and so that put a more energy and enthusiasm into the acting. But I I love Robert Buckley. His little twinkle in his eye is a great a great energy to him. And I also like Treat Williams. He was in Everwood. So it's nice to see him back again. But that definitely felt different immediately. I'm like, oh, okay, there's a level of enthusiasm that I don't get from other Hallmark movies. That's totally true. And Robert Buckley definitely puts the handsome in justice. Um, <laughs> Very handsome. Dave and Alonzo, what did you think? I want to preface this by saying that I am grading on a curve here. This is not me <laughs> with my like super serious so film critic hat. This is me as somebody who does watch all of the Hallmark Christmas movies every year. And so I'm comparing it to other Hallmark Christmas movies. Uh, but to that respect, I think that this movie has a lot going for it besides just the sort of historical nature of the fact that you have a, a, a same-sex couple getting such prominence in the plot. Um, in general, I think the movies have been a little better this year. You can tell they've had a little more time and development the network decided early on that like they weren't going to spend as much time on like summer and fall and other seasons that they usually do they were really going to focus on christmas and then they spent more time developing the screen the, the screenplays for these um you know yes it does have the 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 the, the goofy problems that, that that mar a lot of hallmark films but i think it's it is a very witty movie um i think yeah robert buckley i don't really I'm not really familiar with him, although I did watch Fashion House. I just don't remember him from it. Um, but he's he's quite funny in this one. I think this is the best I've ever seen Jonathan Bennett in one of these movies. Mm -hmm. uh, Tree Williams and Sharon Lawrence both, you know, are pros at this game and, and you know, come to these Hallmark movies with, you know, a, a whole other level of like, you know, acting prowess. So they can make tiny moments really pop. Um, so yeah, I thought this movie was, was really quite charming. I would see myself seeing it again, but then I watch these movies a lot during the year because they are my Xanax. They're my comfort food, you know? And, um, you know, I, 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 I did see some people online, who were maybe not used to what Hallmark movies are like, who, who were, who thought that the gay couple was getting sort of shortchanged, mm -hmm. but it is unusual that a movie will try to sort of trifurcate in this way and give you these mm. three main storylines, you know, the handsome justice guy and the girl next door, the gay couple and the adoption and the parents and their thing that they're not talking about immediately. Um, so that's, un, you know, usually you'd get like your main couple and then everybody else is very much a B story. I would say the gay couple here is an A minus storyline um, so, you know, they, they come out okay and they, they kissed and that's a, you know, for a network that a year ago got angry comments on Facebook because two guys looked at each other in the closing moments of a movie. Um, like uh, that's a big leap. You're absolutely right to point out that this is a very unusual Hallmark channel movie in the way that it is structured. Yeah. Um, not only because it features a same sex couple. Mm -hmm but also because of the approach to it. So first of all, it's unusual that our point of view character is a man. That's, that's not really common in also these movies. True, yeah. And so we're following the, the lead male character, which was just refreshing because you just don't see it that often in this style of movie. And I do love how it balanced these three storylines, these three, well, you know, there's, there's <laughs> Mike and Andy, their kind of relationship. Um, and then obviously um, Brandon and Jake. And then the, the parents were maybe my favorite um, plot because I just love like troubled relationship sniping I, that, <laughs> which again, you don't see that in Hallmark channel movies, like any kind of like elder relationship on the rocks is not mm. that common. Yeah, and it, um, it's rare, but it, it, it's happened before. But, but yeah, I, I was telling Dave, any one of these three storylines could have, 
carried their own movie. Yes, exactly. I, and I and I thought it really. I think maybe because a lot of Hallmark Channel plots can be a little thin and ephemeral, it it really actually made it feel complete because there was room for all of these stories, and that kind of felt like they all got enough time. Each of them. Dave has thoughts. Take it away, Dave. Not only would I never return to this film again <laughs> on a year-to-year basis, I could barely return to it after each commercial break. Alonzo is not like me. (laughs) Even though we have been a couple for 25 years, it's the differences that make a relationship (laughs) sing. The thing about Alonzo's uh, career is that this, this situation with the Hallmark movies grew from, you know, oh my God, I have to stop thinking about Donald Trump for two hours before bedtime, so here's a Hallmark movie, to to soothe my mind and turn it into, you know, a mushy enough substance that I can go to sleep. Uh, But he has turned it into a situation where he participates fairly regularly with the guys from the Deck the Hallmark podcast and is now uh, collaborating on a, a book with them that's coming out next fall. So I do not begrudge my husband uh, any of this. However, I would rather put needles in my eyes than watch these films. And I I did so uh, because I love this podcast and y'all. And so um, I, I don't think that Hallmark makes Christmas movies. I think that they make demographically tuned uh, cash uh, machines that have red and green things in the background. And the, these are not movies that relate in any way to me and my love of Christmas. Um, when I watch them, I think I don't, I feel nothing. I feel zero things. Uh, this one, if I am going to grade on the curve, like Alonzo Duralde, I did not feel open contempt for this one. I only felt boredom. Which was, you know, that's an improvement in the world of Hallmark films. Apparently they have new CEO and new, you know, uh, higher ups and new, a fresh new take on the, on the films this year. Apparently I hear. Um, but if that means that I no longer want to, uh, you know, flame, set a flamethrower to everything I'm looking at and I'm just merely sort of bored, then I guess that's a step up. I will say that Sharon Lawrence is really good in pretty much every character role that they give her through her career. And she's been in a million things. Uh, and at the end of this movie, she gives some super wet eyed looks at Treat Williams yes. that almost made me feel something because she can do stuff with bland, beige, flavorless, mediocre material because she's a good actress. Uh, I also did appreciate the whisper of a blue rinse in Treat Williams's hair. <laughs> <laughs> that touch of lavender. Yeah. And these, I, these are the things you have the, the time to, to contemplate while you're watching a Hallmark Channel movie. Yes. <laughs> it may have just been the lighting or the twinkle of his eyes or whatever, because, you know, I mean, come on. Hot daddy. But like the <laughs> the thing about him is that, you know, he was earnest and she was earnest. And and even though you would watch you watch this movie and you thought, wait a second, 
what is y'all's problem again and why? And is this is this is really how you're going to solve it? I don't want to spoil anything, but I kind of believed them as people with problems. Well, <laughs> you're in good company with my partner because when I turn the movie, she's like, is, is this going to be two hours of them just decorating this house? Right. Um, <laughs> oh, that would I, be cool. <laughs> well, well, that sounds house, like heaven to me, actually. Well, the house actually just disappeared. That was something that fell through the cracks. It's all about making this house, you know, the Christmas house. But by the end, that sort of fell away. One, one thing I was texting Matt while I was watching is like, I can't put my finger on the problem between Treat Williams and Sharon Lawrence, are they getting a divorce? I know we can't say the D word in Hallmark movies, but I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out either. And you're right with Sharon. She, she's, she excels at those pained glances and all the flashbacks. I don't think I've ever seen a Hallmark with so many flashbacks before. Right. Also, she is a very versatile actress. I'm watching the reboot of Dynasty, which is god awful <laughs> but, but she makes an appearance and she she plays like an evil stepmom and she's wonderful in it so it's funny to see her in hallmark and this dynasty reboot she, she was great on uh, on being a god in central florida too oh i'll, I'll check that out yeah she I, I really like her so i'm glad that she brought some some acting to, <laughs> to to the movie but that's something that i got distracted by i couldn't this story between them like i didn't understand what the problem was either and that be the other relationship so insignificant to me because I couldn't focus on anything else, but what was going on between them. Yeah. I mean, I think that did pull me in. Maybe that's coming to speaking to my mystery loving roots, but I was like, I got to figure out what's going on between this couple. They're being really oblique about everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I will say that Dave saying that he almost felt something from a Hallmark channel movie is a huge victory for a Hallmark channel (laughs) movie. And I think that, you know, even even grading on a curve, that should speak to how much better this is than a typical <laughs> offering. In fact, there's a movie that came on right after it that immediately, like, to me, it illustrated just how much better this was because, I don't know, all the characters, they seem like normal people, generally speaking. Like, they behaved in a recognizably human way. And then this other thing that came on afterwards, like, everyone is just this, like, stereotype of... I like football. I'm the sports car driving jerk. Oh, I'm the the down home lady. And it's like, this didn't, this didn't put people into boxes as much, I would say. And I, and I did appreciate that about it. There's no moments of like, Oh, I I thought we had a relationship going, but I just saw you hug your ex and that must mean you're back together. Now I'm sad. (laughs) None of that nonsense was happening, but yeah, you're right. The fact that we have a male protagonist and that the, 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 the love interest is the woman who is, is already at the place is already lives in the small town and stuff. And he has to sort of change his life around for her. Uh, that was a nice twist because so often it's, you know, urban business lady falls for, you know, flannel shirt guy that she went to high school with that. I I made a joke recently that these movies do seem, seem to have like the, the twilight school of imprinting where, you know, the person you're supposed to be with is the, you're the person that you had a crush on when you were eight years old. That's amazing. I never thought about that, but you're right. Yeah. It's always the first person you ever have a crush on is the one that's meant for you. Well, they yeah. had a magic act. They can't give that up. Oh yeah. Majestic yeah, Mike. That, that really brings you together. You know, I would love to be on the, a fly in the wall in the room where they had a meeting around. You can't call the kid magic Mike. <laughs> 
It has to be majestic, Mike. You're going to think this kid's a stripper. Yeah, yeah that was kind of the elephant in the room the whole time. Every time they said majestic, Mike, I'm like, okay, I know what's happening here. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I, liked, I liked the sibling, the way they were constantly sort of jockeying for position mm-hmm. in terms of like, uh, you know, I'm the favorite son now, you know, or like just, just the way they would sort of be competitive or taunt each other and be like, mom, like that's, that's a thing we don't get a lot in these movies in terms of playing it for laughs and, and sort of underscoring the way that these relationships can be, but obviously in a much more exaggerated fashion. And I like that the gay couple was almost always touching each other, mm-hmm. you know, which is not a thing, again, to take for granted, I think, in the Hallmark universe. In the past, a lot of times when they've, they've had these sort of obliquely coded characters, they court, like, you know, beyond Jane Austen in terms of, like, never getting too near each other. So here, the fact they're sitting there holding hands or have their arms around each other or whatever, it all felt very natural and just in a way that this channel would have been afraid of not that long ago. Yeah, I'm I'm really proud of Hallmark Channel, my my corporate overlord for their um, bravery here. Just insofar as saying that I I randomly clicked on like a Facebook ad for this because I'm sure they're like targeting every person who's gay on Facebook like with mm. with these ads. And so I made the mistake of looking at the comments, oh, and they, it was just a parade of people saying how they were boycotting the channel because of Good. this. Like yeah. they'll, they'll, they never are going to watch another Hallmark movie because they're you know they're supposed to be family appropriate. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to have that conversation with my grandchildren about how men might hold hands. It's <laughs> it's it's easy to forget because the rest of the world has moved on on a lot of these issues, but there's still a significant amount of people who are very stuck on that and um well especially on facebook especially on facebook yeah (laughs) and you're going straight to the depths of hell if you're going to the facebook comment section i am glad to see alonzo sent over the ratings data it came in fourth that night it with over 23 million viewers better than the hallmark movie that was on the previous night on saturday night a nashville christmas which came in fifth and so while the Christmas House couldn't beat 90 Day Fiance, the NFL, or TLC's I Love a Mama's Boy. Don't hate it on crushed, TLC. <laughs> it crushed The Real Housewives of Potomac, Fear the Walking Dead, and a TBS re-airing of The Wizard of Oz. So take yeah. that, Wizard of Oz. And, and I think, you know, it's something not to be lost here. I mean, not just in terms of, like, Hallmark being up to date on things, but this, whoever it is that hands out the ratings for TV shows that you see in the upper left corner, you know, this got a TVG like a an all ages completely you know like nothing nothing objectionable rating and it has two guys kissing and there's a time in television not so long ago where that's like every commercial would have had like you know suggested for mature audiences and have, make sure the not may not be suitable for all viewers ah you know for like some <laughs> tiny weird fleeting closed mouth Melrose Place kiss um so the fact that that, that you can do you can do a TVG which is means like Anybody can watch it. it. Services like Friendly TV that carry Hallmark and make a big to-do about how, like, everything we run is family-friendly and da 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 Like, we're in that category now. We are. You don't have to, like, shield the horses. <laughs> <laughs> all in all, like, I, I would come back to this movie. My husband and I ate it up. We had a great time. And this was the best Hallmark Channel movie I've ever seen. And again, yes, we're, I'm grading on a curve, as Alonzo said. <laughs> But, you know, all things considered, I thought this was a very cozy and effective Christmas movie, personally. I love the cast. I think that's what made it for me more than anything else. 
Well, you know, there's a there's a, a a very blurry line between what airs on Hallmark Channel and what airs what airs on Hallmark Movies and Mysteries. And generally speaking, even though some titles have hopped from one to the other with you know no explanation, but ostensibly the Hallmark Channel ones are supposed to be more sort of on the rom com end of the spectrum, and the Movies and Mysteries one are more on the dramatic end. And looking back at the movies that I like the most from Hallmark. I generally tend to like the movies and mysteries one more just because I think they're more likely to accidentally back into drama than they are into comedy. But this is the first one that is ostensibly trying to be funny that I think is occasionally funny and and does Mm -hmm. work on that level. So it's probably my favorite of the non-movies and mysteries Hallmark Christmas movies. Can I just jump on this a little more? Yeah, go ahead, Dave. (laughs) Is that okay? Dump away, Dave. Can I dump? Can I dump on it some more? <laughs> I, would, I really, I would love to. <laughs> Just, I do not believe that we should be praising Hallmark for these uh, gay characters or gay kisses. I think that they have spent way too long courting a demographic of people who are shrieking idiots and. Because they started taking teeny tiny little baby steps five years after marriage equality became federally recognized, that is not a moment for us to be all like, yay, Hallmark, you finally became like part of 1998. (laughs) I want them to speed it up, ramp it up. Join the rest of us. Leave the people who are yelling at you on Facebook behind. They're never going to change. And that the fact that you've been like scared of them and courting them this whole time is a shame on them. I think the fact that they have decided that they can turn their back on the screaming demographic uh, and, and, and survive without them. Whether or not that constitutes bravery on Hallmark's part, I think that's a heartening situation for Corporate decision I mean, making in general. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad it's happening. Yeah. But you know what? Not enough and not fast enough. Well, we'll get enough. a female couple in 20 years. <laughs> but see, I thought they would have gone female couple first because, you know, I think straight, straight guys love lesbians. Straight guys love That's lesbians. True. Women who are the primary demographic of Hallmark love gay men. Oh. You see. This is true. Yeah. Although, technically, the first. Y'all same- straight people are very, very easy to uh, uh, peg. <laughs> Listeners who are straight, there's no, there's no one straight right now recording <laughs> this podcast. But you know what I mean. The uh, the first same sex kiss on the network did happen between two women, however, in this summer's wedding every weekend. Oh yes, I did see that. But it's true, straight women do prefer to see two men together. Like you know, half of the audience for Showtime's Queerest Folk was straight women. Yeah, well, I guess we'll see. We'll see how it all pans out. Yeah. Well, Dave, you bring up excellent points, but I am just happy <laughs> to enter into the ban- the banal world of Hallmark Channel, <laughs> and I feel like I'm finally yeah. welcome. You can't so. tear that away. That's a victory for me. Deeply entrenched. (laughs) Um, Let's switch gears to a very different movie. Um, The Happiest Season um, on Hulu. So The Happiest Season is directed by Clea Duvall and written by Clea Duvall and one of the actors in the movie, comedian Mary Holland. It's about Harper, played by Mackenzie Davis, who on a high from showing off Candy Cane Lane to her girlfriend of one year, Abby, played by Kristen Stewart, spontaneously invites Abby to celebrate Christmas with her family in her hometown. What Harper doesn't tell Abby until they're nearly there is that she's not actually out to her family, 
including her conservative parents played by Victor Garber and Mary Steenburgen. Did I say that right? Steenburgen, I think. Steenburgen. I always struggle with her last name, but she's an amazing actress. I love her. And her sister is played by Alison Brie and Mary Holland, who, as I said, also co-wrote the script with Clay Duvall. Since Harper's father is running for mayor and she doesn't want to disrupt the holidays, Abby reluctantly agrees to pretend to be Harper's straight roommate for the duration of the stay. While Abby struggles with being shoved back in the closet, she's supported by her friend back in the city, played by Dan Levy, and finds an unlikely ally in Harper's ex-girlfriend, played by Aubrey Plaza. So this was a very different feel from The Christmas (laughs) House. It definitely has, um, there's a quite of a sad streak in it, I would say. Um, what are what are your thoughts, Dave and Alonzo? I'm a fan of this movie, and and Dave and I disagree about this one as well. I really admire the fact that uh, that Duval and Holland are giving us an LGBT Christmas farce and delving into something that is as serious as the closet. Um, and you know, on the one hand, yeah, that's a risk to to deal with something that is a source of pain and tragedy for so many people. But at the same time, I think that there is something about taking something that is so essential to the queer experience, if not for every single person, but as a whole and making it an element of, of a romantic comedy is sort of a, an interesting step in kind of the, the, you know, adding ourselves to the, to the mainstream conversation. And I, I think the movie mostly balances it well, especially because the, the toxicity of the parents and their expectations of their children and the conditionality of their affection for their children that has messed up Harper so much over the years also manifests in the way that the Alison Brie character behaves and her sort of brittle unhappiness about a lot of things and how her father just sort of treats her as being like the picture perfect, like family to trot out, but otherwise doesn't take her seriously, even though she is, uh, you know, an accomplished lawyer and a Yale graduate and all this stuff. Uh, I think Dan Levy and, and Aubrey Plaza are great as these sort of like Eve Arden supporting characters. Uh, Kristen Stewart, I think should get more opportunities to play comedy because she's very good at it. There's a very funny running joke about her inability to lie. Um, I, I was really charmed, and, and obviously I'm I'm biased because I've written a book about Christmas movies. I wrote in that book about how I wish there were more queer-centric ones, and this isn't the first one by any means, but it is the first one to feature, like, you know, marquee names and to be, mm-hmm. you know, produced by a major studio. So I'm glad that it's as good as it is, and I hope we get more of it. Dave, how about you? What did you think? Well, <laughs> it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a film critic here. Uh, for a moment, uh, I, I don't want my comments about the Hallmark films to be uh, related in any way to my profession. <laughs> uh, those are just me uh, happily and furiously crapping on them. Uh, but duly noted, this uh, this is a real film. This is actual uh, uh, actually meant to be, you know, cinema and. So uh, to that end, here's what I agree with uh, Alonzo on. Uh, Dan Levy and Aubrey Plaza are great. Every time they'd walk into a scene, say something funny, deliver the one-liner that you wanted them to say, and then they would walk back out of the scene. You would think, wait, don't go. I want this entire film to be about you two. Kristen Stewart is good even in material that's not worth her time. She's one of our best, you know, young actors, and I am always excited to see her in something, anything. It doesn't matter. Uh, 
unfortunately, this, for me, this film tries to marry two things that really are actively constantly fighting each other from start to finish. And that is the, the sort of classic farce setup where the stakes are low and nothing really matters. And anything outrageously bad that happens can be soothed over with more comedy. And then the problems of, you know, this tale of the closet and all the damage it can do to a human being. And you see that happening with the Mackenzie Davis character. She is wickedly damaged by the closet so much so that she treats people around her badly and treats her loved one, the woman she wants to marry almost unforgivably bad. Like there could be, there could be, uh, uh, there could be forgiveness with the way that she treats Kristen Stewart's character in this film, but only if Kristen Stewart's character (laughs) had said at the end, you know what? Here's the number of my therapist. Call me in six months. Until then, we're taking a break. Because the, the, the stuff that happens between them in this movie is so awful that you think to yourself, well, this relationship just cannot survive what they're doing. But because it's determined to be a wacky farce, in addition to a sort of painful story of what the closet can do to people... I felt like I was being thrown around some really wild uh, curves, and uh, I was unhappy for most of the film until, again, Dan Levy and Aubrey Plaza come in as MVPs to say sarcastic stuff. All Aubrey Plaza has to do is walk into a Christmas party that's figuratively on fire (laughs) and say, nice party. Well, she's the queen of facial expressions. Her, and, yeah, her eyes and, say so much. And and she saves it and you crack up and, and you're like, oh, Aubrey Plaza, my queen, you know, like that's that's the talent that she has in a moment like that. And it's still not enough for me to make this movie work properly. I am glad it exists because we do need queer led Christmas themed genre film like this you know there should be more of it not just the indie versions of stuff that has been you know going straight to dvd and streaming for the past you know decade or so um you know this is this is meant to be something more and it is in moments uh but you know not enough yeah i I totally agree that I was always looking forward to the reappearance of the Dan Levy and Aubrey Plaza characters. And Aubrey Plaza just generates this warmth in this movie. And the whole time I was just hoping that the Kristen Stewart character would run away with the Aubrey Plaza character and just get (laughs) out of there. That was the movie I really wanted to see. But (laughs) uh, before I go further into into my thoughts, I I really want to hear Jillian's perspective. What did you think, Jillian? Well, I guess I sympathize more with Harper than most of the audience did. I was seeing so, so much commentary online about how everyone hated her so much. But I think that's just an, you know, unfortunate reality. I I think there is so much tension that can exist in these kinds of families and these kind of, you know, parents, especially upper middle-class families where it's so much about performance and performing for others. Mm. And I think Dan Levy really brought it home where he said, he pointed out that Kristen Stewart's character had the grace of having parents who were totally cool with it. And it's easy to sit from, you know, another perspective 
and judge another person's actions when you had a better scenario. That being said, I didn't like the subplot of Harper outing Aubrey Plaza's character. I thought that was, you know, a little too, you know, it added another layer of darkness. I don't think necessarily was needed for her. I think her just do, you know, doing all the things that she did with her, you know, ex-boyfriend and, the repeating of hiding her was enough. I don't think we needed that subplot to drive home that Harper was very horribly closeted. Um, You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know that any of us want to be judged by our worst ideas when we were teenagers or our our most cowardly moments, you know? So I, I actually felt really sympathetic to Harper. I mean, my partner also said, this is also very Caucasian. (laughs) It really, really was. I mean, (laughs) but it it was very familiar to me, just like that, just, you know, just putting on appearances and that I don't think some people realize how suffocating, you know, that tension can be, and it can make you act so horribly. And so I I think it was a true story. I I trust Clay Duvall's intentions because I don't think she would set out to make anything that would be, you know, malicious or, what have you, I think it was a true story. And I remember I was in workshop um, in college or for sh- um, short story. And one of the, um, my classmates said, I can't imagine uh, parents would never do this to their kids. This is, you know, this is in- inaccurate. It, it would, you know, it's, this is so far out there, but it's not, <laughs> you can't, people are capable of anything, but does it work for the story? I think, you know, I think that's more the important question. Would people do this? Of course they would. They do it all the time. Um, but does it work for the, these characters? And um, I'm not so sure, but the one thing that I was t- telling Matt is like I, what I lost in this was the theme of Christmas. The only thing that was bringing me back to Christmas was the mom repeatedly saying we need the good Christmas photo. The, yeah. That, yeah, everything else fell away for the Christmas plot. I guess I'm so used to Hallmark movies where <laughs> they just shoehorn in Christmas to a, a, an otherwise like non-holiday specific story. And I think also there is something about Christmas being a time when families gather when they might not otherwise. And when children who otherwise might have reasons to not want to come home would come home. So I think that alone mm-hmm. is, is such a plot motor here. Uh, the, certainly, you know, Harper would not have brought Abby home for any other reason. Uh, the Christmas was the thing that, that sort of momentarily gave her the idea, oh, I want to do this. And, and then when she tries to think better of it, it's too late by that point yeah. to have committed to the trip. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, props to um, Mackenzie Davis' character, because I don't think I can put up that farce for five days. One day I could pull it off. I don't know about five days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as, as somebody, you know, when, whenever, when Dave and I uh, visit relatives in Atlanta, uh, this he has since sold this house, but we had a brother who had a great sort of basement suite that we were always excited to stay in. Mm-hmm. And when one of his in-laws were visiting and got dibs on that part of the house, part of me was always thinking, but but that's our room. <laughs> so the twins get mad at, at Abby for, for taking their, their downstairs room. I, I, I felt that. There are those moments that they get right about the holiday. Mm-hmm. Like Jillian pointed this out when we were talking about it, like the, the sad bars that you're at with your friends, your childhood yeah, friends, that, was like the those moments, part. that kind of <laughs> felt cozy and relatable, but yeah. there, I feel very mixed on this movie because I feel like there were moments I laughed. There were moments I really cared about people but they're just as equally, I kind of felt imbalanced. And I, and I think I agree with Dave on the whole that it just, I don't know. I felt 
very depressed for the characters because the closet is so traumatizing. And I didn't really feel like it threaded the needle of the this madcap comedy that they're trying to do in some scenes. And that's really serious issue that they're tackling. And they're trying to do both. And I don't really ever feel like it comes together um, in one piece. For instance, the comedy really relies a lot on like people behaving broadly, which is fine. You, you, but when you have that paired with really heartfelt moments that are really meant to hit home about very serious issues, it doesn't quite jive together. It's a, it's a, it creates a dissonance for me. And, it, and overall, I just felt like I just wanted that Kristen Stewart character to get out of there. It's so It was so toxic, the experience that she was in. And so frustrating as an audience member to just have to, to, to grin and bear it and just be there with her with all these like horrible, like passive aggressive things. Like the comedy in a lot of ways comes from these like rude remarks. People would say like, this conversation's over. I'm done with it. Like, or, or, you know, it, it's, well, it's sort of like where she gets accused of being a shoplifter and then suddenly it's like, my brooch is missing. And if, I know oh, oh, that would kill I me. If, if my in-laws did that with I'd me, I would so never annoying. recover. I would never recover. And, and, and that's played for last, but that's to me, it's like, Oh my goodness. Like that's, I mean, it's as bad as even when they're taking a picture and she's like, say Christmas. And then the mom's like, no, don't say that. <laughs> these, these things that are meant to, they don't make me laugh they just make me feel really sad and it, it's compounded by the truly sad moment of her being thrust back in the closet i don't know at the moment that we i felt like it was earned that like i don't know i don't want to spoil it necessarily what happens in the end but I, I didn't feel like the ending was earned my overall criticism of the movie is i feel like we're just generally with the wrong character as our hero we, we it should to me the the biggest mistake this movie makes is that we are stuck with Abby, Kristen Stewart's point of view, and she has no agency in the movie. She is put in a horrible situation. Things just happen to her. And she, every time she tries to make a choice, she's trapped. She tries to get out of there. The Uber rides $1,000. Like, there's like <laughs> any, any, any instance of her trying to execute any amount of agency or, or, or get some sort of, gain some sort of ground in this horrible environment is thwarted. And as an audience member, that's really frustrating to watch because you're kind of with her and on her side and, and you feel the, the re-traumatization of all this stuff with her. And it felt very sad. And I feel like if the movie would have been from Harper's point of view, it would have fixed a lot of the problems because first of all, we would have been with the character understood her more in terms of what she's trying to navigate. We would have been more on her side. I think we, we you know, we wouldn't have been so much like dump this Harper person. She's awful. We would have kind of been more sympathetic and experiencing that. And she, she's the one that changes. She's the one that actually has a story here. Not yeah. the Kristen Stewart character. And so I'm just lost as to why Kristen's leading it. Because the real character here, the real person that's driving the movie is Harper. But we're not with Harper. We're with, we're with Abby. And I think that was, to me, a fatal flaw of the movie. And I think maybe why I just, as much as there are moments I liked and things I liked about it, it's not like, it, to me, it's not awful. But I found it to be very frustrating to watch. I think often in farce, the structure is that the person that you are following is the person who is undergoing the either the humiliation or the anxiety of the situation so the idea that harper can't or that abby can't leave and that it's, she's sort of trapped there like that's why that's that's what you do to the protagonist of a farce you want them to be able to get out of it but you have to sort of deal with it it's like the griffin dunn character in after hours for example like you empathize with like oh, this is so terrible and yet there's no way out of it and so it becomes that's where the the comedy and the the anxiety comes from but you know when you think about 
these suitable subjects for farce for several centuries, things like divorce and infidelity, which under a certain lens can be very traumatic and very difficult and very, you know, soul damaging. And so I think the idea of taking the closet, which for a lot of non-gay people, they sort of is a, is a thing that they don't understand how terrible it is because it exists for their comfort. It exists mm-hmm. for to smooth things over in a way that makes straight people happy because they don't have to think about it or look at it or deal with it. To make that the subject of a knockabout farce, I think, brings the farce itself into a new era. And, and, and it brings the conversation about the specificity of queer life into a new place because it can now be the subject of comedy. And by making it the subject of comedy, it's easier for people to look at. And it might be more difficult for queer people to look at because we know the underlying things and we know the actual pain that it causes. But I think if straight people can look at it as an understanding of like, oh, this is a bad thing and it does, it makes people do bad things and it, and it, and it, it, it reflects poorly on them and it causes them trauma that in a we in a weird way is really kind of moving this all forward and making them think about it in a way they haven't thought about it before. Well, I always found it interesting. The commentary was so angry at Harper's character, but not the situation that put her there in the first place. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that one problem that afflicts uh, audiences uh, that has nothing to do with uh, how good or bad a film is constructed is. People are not media literate enough now, it seems, uh, to understand that depiction is not the same thing as endorsement. And so they get upset when a character does something bad or, you know, hurtful or hateful, and you're still, you're still supposed to be on their side. People don't have any capacity, it seems, uh, to to deal with the fact that the main character, the person that you're supposed to be rooting for is maybe going to do something really terrible. Um, And they think that means the movie's pro, you know, bad behavior. And it, it makes me, I have empathy for this character. You know, I have empathy for the character of Harper because she has been damaged by the closet. And I, I, I actually sort of like. I actually sort of like the fact that they brought up the idea that she harmed Aubrey Plaza's character in high school, mm-hmm. because it shows how deep it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I feel like the film can't recover from is laying that all out there, and then tidying it up at the end very quickly and neatly. When in reality, if this were a film about real people with real lives. Like I said earlier, a therapist would need to be involved. Well, that's where, that's where <laughs> that's Christmas true. comes in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's the magic of Christmas. Forgive everything in movies. <laughs> I, I I really hear your point, Dave. I think the thing is though with Harper, she's so sidelined, and I I can kind of see why people easily are like, oh, I just dislike this character. She's you know putting her girlfriend through this, and yeah. it's awful because we're never really given a reason to care about Harper. Like she's just sort of the girlfriend who's basically the the Satan of this movie, <laughs> putting <laughs> torturing Kristen Stewart throughout the entire thing, not intentionally. And really, right. you can sense that they love each other, but that's about yeah. the like the, the only thing I the only reason I really care about Harper is because Kristen Stewart loves her. 
That's like that. I mean, that's like the main reason I cared that, at all about her. A lot of what that performance is about, right? It, I think. I think without the empathy that Kristen Stewart brings to it, you're like, why is she even involved with this? But because we relate so strongly to Abby, we have to take Abby's word for it that Harper is exactly, worth yeah. all of this. And, that's, and that's just why I feel like this movie wasn't stronger if it would have been from Harper's point of view, because I think she's just a more interesting character, and I would have liked to spend more time with her and. I like it when our our hero it makes really bad decisions and is not a good person. So like, right. I think that would have been a really interesting movie, a more interesting movie dramatically. And I think it might have been funnier, honestly, because she would have been navigating much more complicated situations than Abby has to just grin and bear. So yeah, I, I think part of the audience sort of aversion to Harper might be maybe even less that they don't want anything bad to happen to the characters, but more that we're just never given reason enough to care about Harper. And so it's an easier thing just to say, like, it's almost like a horror movie where you're, when you watch it and you're like the whole time, just like, just leave or get out of it. Or do this. You're all acting <laughs> ridiculously. <laughs> exactly. And it's the same sort of thing. It's like, just leave. This is awful. Like, you know, <laughs> you sort of get frustrated at everybody because no one's behaving in any way that would like, Properly respond out of the house. Mary Tyler Moore wants the camera. <laughs> well, Mackenzie Davis can never be the point of view because Kristen Stewart is a catnip for all the you know ladies out there. Oh, that's yeah. true. I mean, Kristen Stewart. She, I, I really can't overstate like how amazing she is in everything. I like. I, <laughs> yep. I'm going to share like a funny Kristen Stewart experience I had in LA where we saw her at the ArcLight. You just see celebrities at the ArcLight Theater here yeah. whenever you go, period. It just happens. The grocery store, the farmer's yeah. market. So glamorous. <laughs> so glamorous, right? Anyway, yeah. she was by the bathroom, and my husband and I noticed her. My husband like was starstruck immediately, as was I, and was like, oh, my God, did you, did you see Kristen Stewart? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I saw her. And, and anyway, we kind of like we talked a little bit, and then we go down the stairs. Like ArcLight Hollywood has this long staircase. And we're going down, and he's just loudly proclaiming how beautiful Kristen Stewart is, and, and <laughs> she's just so gorgeous. He doesn't realize that that Kristen Stewart is right in front of I us walking down the stairs. Oh <laughs> and so oh. that's the day that uh, my my husband told Kristen Stewart that Kristen Stewart's beautiful. I mean, it, it's a great thing to be caught saying, but it was still funny. Yeah. He, felt, he was Kristen mortified. Stewart needed to hear it that day. You know? <laughs> yeah. Maybe she did. Well, she plays awkward so well because she is so awkward. Even in you know interviews, she's does, has all these little um, quirks that she does. So I think she is better suited for comedies because she just she leans into it. Because I think that is her. No way. That was a really funny bit. Her like being a, a bad liar. That was I really did enjoy that mm-hmm. that moment. Yeah. You know, it, it's definitely this is a Christmas movie that has a lot more meat on its bones. <laughs> than, yes. Um. I, it it does engender like a really interesting conversation. Um, I'm glad I saw it despite kind of my mixed feelings. I don't know if I'd return to it because I don't think it's cozy and it's not like a holiday movie. I want to go back to like, Oh, I just want to just sit in, in this cozy moment. Um, but it is an interesting movie to watch for sure. I'll tell you what, as I was watching happiest season and while we've been talking about it, I just keep going back in my head to this French movie, uh, Arnaud Desplechon's A Christmas Tale, where it's a it's a big cast of people, and it is a story about a family that borderline hates each other. Like, people are very difficult. The characters are very difficult people. And yet, you are riveted by everything they're doing it's it's smart and it's acerbic it is acidic it is funny and it's 
cozy because these are old school French people who do Christmas up in a way that is in a big old house, in a big old house with a big rangy tree and like everything looks great. And so it just, boy, it hits all the right buttons. Yeah. I mean, that's a classic of the genre. Every time I see it, I empathize with a different character. Yeah. Like somebody who I thought was a total irredeemable jerk. The last time I watched it, I'm like, okay, well, no, she's got a point. It was nice to see Corwin just being themselves because so so often they're so so stereotyped so it was nice to see familiar faces and see that reflected back for once i don't mm. they just existed there was no stereotypes and that was a refreshing point that i didn't mention which was it was, it was nice to see absolutely and if you're looking for more lgbt representation in holiday movies there are other ones out there um including there's a one coming out on december 12th called The Christmas Setup on Lifetime. We would have loved to talk about that too, but it's not that date yet. So that one's, it sounds like it's about this New York lawyer who comes home and gets paired up with his high school crush going, it sounds like a very Hallmark um, imprinting movie, Mm -hmm. um, Alonzo. Yeah, well, (laughs) the the queer couple is front and center, which is exciting. And the pushy mom who's trying to get her son back together with his uh, high school crush is played by Fran Drescher. So there's a lot to like on paper. Yes. Um, And there's a real life gay couple playing the lead. So uh, even in the era of COVID, they get to smooch. So, you know, uh, I, I have high hopes for that one. There's also a movie coming to the Paramount Network called Dashing in December, uh, where the mom is Andy McDowell. And the two leads are also, they're not a couple, but they're both uh, gay men. Uh, Peter Port, uh, who is in the um, A Gift to Remember and its sequel on the Hallmark Channel, uh, plays one of the leads. And it is uh, all that plus cowboys. And the other guy in it <laughs> is the guy from the Eric Prids video, Call on Me. He's the aerobics class guy. Yes. <laughs> you want to see that. <laughs> and before we move on, I do want to just do a shout out to a movie that was doing this a long time ago. And, you know, in gay cinema, there's always been, we're, we've been making our own movies for ourselves that address the holidays. And one that I've watched and always loved is Make the Yuletide Gay, which came out in 2009. It's actually very similar in in story in terms to uh, The Happiest Season, Um, Mm. but just much more like farcical. And it kind of it has that like indie quality where they're really scrapping it together. And but it has a lot of heart. And it's about a gay and closeted college student who comes home for the holidays, is afraid to come out to his parents. And things get complicated when his roommate comes and surprises the family with a visit. So, but the, the roommate's the boyfriend. I should make that clear. Anyway, it's actually, I, I, I've, you know, it's been a while since I saw it, but like, I don't know if it's just because I'm starved for that, that I'm like grabbing onto it and holding onto it. But I, I, my memory of this movie is that it's very cozy and funny and cute. Um, well, so has, has the, the guy who played the, one of the pioneering gay kids on Degrassi, the next generation. Uh, and I believe the actress who played Nellie Olson. So, you know. Every time I hear Degrassi the Next Generation, I imagine them like aboard the the Star Trek ship, like they're about to go into space. <laughs> they launch the Degrassi kids into space. Um, <laughs> I never made that connection, but I love it. <laughs> it's time to wrap up with some soothing sounds. In this case, we're going to call it Songs of the Season. Let's start with our guest picks. So we're going to share holiday tunes that make us feel cozy and are keeping us warm and and focus on the holidays during this trying time. Let's start with Dave. Dave, what is your song of the season? 
well, I don't have a song necessarily. I have an album, and it is uh, June Christie. Uh, the name of the album is This Time of Year. June Christie was uh, a jazz singer in the 50s and 60s, uh, sort of associated with the, the cool jazz genre. And um, she was real cool. <laughs> like, she has a whole Christmas album where nothing is boring or traditional. Everything is an original song, and it all just sort of, like, moves very you know, slinkily. And uh, there's a song, I guess the song on it is called uh, The Merriest. And it's it's this very, you know, wordplay kind of song about, you know, all the different kinds of people in the world. I wish you the merriest. And it's, it's secular and it is, you know, uh, uh, refreshing in a, in a, in a, in a season where if I hear Jingle Bells, one more time, <laughs> I'm going to chop off somebody's head. <laughs> this is not that kind of album. It is just very, very chill and fun and sophisticated and grown up. And it makes me feel great when we are decorating, you know, our vintage aluminum Christmas tree. <laughs> I can feel like I am in a Mad Men sort of moment. So let's slink along to June Christie's <laughs> The Merriest. For the mopers, a laugh for the criers, luck to the hopers, to the strange and the ordinariest. Meet to you, the merriest. Finally, a Christmas song that addresses the strange and the ordinariest. I, when listening to the song, immediately a martini dropped into my hand and but a bone pie wrapped around my neck. I need a martini style or some cocktail. I love this song. It's so it is I classy it. and jazzy. Yeah. I was grooving in my seat. <laughs> Wonderful choice. Thank you, Dave. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Next, let's move on to Alonzo's pick. Alonzo, what is your song of the season? Well, it was not my intent to send Dave on a beheading rampage, but I actually have to version of Jingle Bells. Uh, can this marriage be saved? <laughs> Which, agreed, is a song that has been, like, you know, done to death. And uh, there are, I think, some standout versions that even Dave would agree are pretty great. The Barbara Streisand version for is instance. fantastic. Uh, I'm also a big fan of the one that I'm sharing today, the Lena Horne version, which, again, I think she brings a very elevated level of cool to uh, but at the same time, you get these little these little uh, uh, flourishes, you know, to kind of go with the snow. So I like to think this version contains both whiskey and whimsy. Uh, so this is Lena Horne's Jingle All the Way. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, jingle bells. I love a Jingle Bells where the Jingle Bells are kind of just thrown out there. Jingle Bells. <laughs> jingle Bells. <laughs> I think it brings a little bit of romance to the song. It does. Oh, I love the, the, the drum. I don't, I'm not a, a musician, so I don't know how to describe it, but there's like a pace to the song I love. 
Yeah, it's it's definitely sort of slowing it down, and it it there there's a there's a va va voominess going flirty. on. Here. This is not your. Is this Jingle Bells thing. coming on to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. These are these are solid solid holiday choices. Thank you. Thank you both. Um, I'm <laughs> I'm gonna take it. That's <laughs> no, a good thing. So mine's pretty depressing as well. In a much less. Um, well, actually, let's start with yours then, Julian. No. Depressing. Let's let's go with We're yours. My, mine mine will help us here. snap out of it. What's what's okay. what's your pick? What's your mine what's your sound of the season? It's Walking in the Air from the Snowman, which was released in 1982 and was remastered in 2002. It's based on the 1978 picture book by Raymond Briggs, and it was a cover by. Adrian Linker and Buck Meek from Big Thief, which was released in 2012 as a as a single of a bunch of other Christmas covers. And I love this movie. It's it speaks to the magic and wonder of Christmas. I will admit I what I was listening to the song and I just started crying. I don't know why, I guess it's 2020, but it's just like that the instrumentals on it are so soothing, but also I don't know, a little emotional, but I, I I love it. So get a tissue. Let's listen to "Walking in the Air" from the Snowman. We're walking in the air, we're floating in the moonlit sky. The people far below are sleeping as we fly. That was very calming and gentle. It's very calming. Well, the movie is very calming. I forgot about the movie. I was still watching the YouTube clip, and it's wordless, and it's it's a beautiful animated film, and the premise is this little boy makes a snowman, and in the middle of the night, the snowman comes to life, and they travel to Norway and through the snow, and they see a little villages below, and then it ends with a snowman party in the forest, and it's it's a beautiful movie, I think. Yeah, the animation in the video itself when we were listening to it is just enveloping and the soft animation with that really gentle music, it was very centering. I feel very calm right now. Very calming. You're speaking my language here. <laughs> I, I I deliberately chose something uh, upbeat uh, for the music uh, because I think the last time that we were individually on the show, Alonzo and I were both recommending the Tracy Thorne Christmas album. <laughs> and, you know, um, it's a bummer. <laughs> and I live for the Christmas bummer. Like, if you would have said, oh, pick a, pick another Christmas bummer, Dave, I would have been like, well, you know, there's a Sam Phillips record called Cold Dark Nights. The low Christmas album, uh, you know, anything from Sufjan Stevens that's Christmas related. Joni Mitchell's River. Joni Mitchell's River. Like all of that stuff, like I'm sad at Christmas. Those are really that. I eat that up with a big spoon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I think a lot of people, when things are tough, they actually really want to hear sad music because it's. It, it speaks to their experience. It makes them feel better. My husband's that way. He, when he's in a, in a funk, he likes to listen to sad music. I'm the opposite way, which is I need to go in the, I, I need to listen to something to get me out of it, which is an, a nice segue into my choice for sound of the season, because there is a fact that people do, you know, we, it, it isn't the happiest holiday <laughs> 2020. <laughs> and I think justifiably many artists are leaning into the sadness of the season, but Personally, I find myself looking for music that will jolt me into the Christmas spirit. 
And so there's really no other group that jolts you more than the <laughs> Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Um, <laughs> so I basically, <laughs> this is the shock treatment of Christmas spirit. Um, I, so my pick is Christmas Eve, uh, Sarajevo, 1224. The, a little background on this song. So the, the person who wrote it, it was inspired by Vedran uh, Smialovich, who played his cello in the town square during the siege of Sarajevo. And so musically, you have the you have this or- orchestra, but you also have the, the rock and guitars <laughs> doing this medley of Carol of the Bells and God Rusty Merry Gentlemen. It's, it's supposed to kind of sonically um, reflect that battle, the bombing of Sarajevo, which I get, you know, that is a very sad thing to reflect, but an interesting inspiration for the song that I, I didn't know until kind of looking into it. But this song will get you amped enough to go to battle for Santa. So if you really do need <laughs> that jolt, I highly recommend um, Christmas Eve slash Sarajevo. Let's take a listen. Julian, I can hear you laughing, and I knew exactly when the guitars came in. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, really, yeah, you really were going to battle. (laughs) Yeah, I'm actually currently wearing war paint. It's red. It's red and green. Paint armor. I'm ready to go. (laughs) Head banging. No, but seriously, like when I'm feeling less than motivated to put up decorations, I put this on, and all of a sudden, like I'm on double time, and you know, my tree is up in no time. You rip your sleeves off. <laughs> just rip my entire shirt off. It's just like, ah. You should do a time lapse video with the song and then you're putting up the decorations. I love that. You know, I just really love this genre of Christmas music, the Mannheim Steamroller Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Like, we're going to go into, like, public domain music and just make it rockin'. And then they, <laughs> they, they do these tours every year, which sadly I think they're suffering because they, they can't. But, like, where they do these these arena tours where they like go out and play Carol of the Bells like but shred the guitar doing it. I think it's so funny and I love it a lot. It, clearly there's an audience out there for yeah. it. Because, yeah, they're, they're, I wasn't expecting Matt to be that audience, but here we are. <laughs> there's got to be some Christmas music you can headbang to. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a Spinal Tap Christmas single, if I recall correctly. Oh, I have to look into that. <laughs> there's also one from Striper. So Indeed, yes. don't forget. <laughs> I'm sure there's a whole like uh, rabbit hole of metal Christmas music, which there, is there is. I think yeah. so. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. everybody, if you've ever recorded anything, you've also recorded White Christmas. <laughs> now that we've gotten you all amped up, let's calm back down <laughs> and talk about some candles. Jillian has our our candle that we're sniffing remotely today. Jillian. Can you describe the the candle we're reviewing? Sure. I was on the hunt for a Christmas candle, but all the candles that have the word Christmas in it either smell like a cookie or a pine tree. <laughs> so I wanted something a little different. So I chose Rifle Paper Co.'s limited edition holiday candle. Comes in a beautiful decorative box with gold foil accents and the the box is gorgeous. So you want to give this as a gift, it would work as a perfect gift. It's a beautiful also painted glass vessel. And the description is, our holiday candle brings to mind memories of cozy nights by the fire, fresh balsam fir trimmings, and 
cranberries dipped in frost. So I was very intrigued by the cranberries dipped in frost. That's very specific. <laughs> I don't really am getting the frost smell, but the cranberries offer a nice light note that usually aren't in holiday candles. And I can smell that fire, that, that kind of smokiness, which is a nice pairing with the bright cranberry scent. So it's, it's a really nice combination. Do you smell the limited edition? <laughs> Always. The, if it's limited edition, you know, it's on my, my list. Can I, can I see edition? <laughs> no, that sounds great. But seriously, that, I, I, it sounds very subtle, which can be nice. Yeah. Well, holiday candles, especially Christmas ones, can just be so overbearing. Because I know if I get something that is billed as a dessert, like a holiday cookie, it's going to smell sweet. And that we know at All Things Cozy, we don't like sweet scents. So that takes away 95% of the holiday candles. Nothing will ever compare to, Alonzo, the candle you brought to one recording, that beautiful, gorgeous candle. The Ralph Lauren holiday candle. Yes, I love that. that, that that's king for me, especially the well, beautiful red. The Water. one that you described, it sounds like it's hitting a lot of the same kind of notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we, we have another Ralph Lauren holiday candle this year. It's a thing that we look forward to all year, or I do anyway. <laughs> um, but then we wanted to have a, another holiday candle for the back of the house, and I wanted something that was not going to be exactly the same. And I'm with you. I'm not a big fan of the baked good candles. So I did go for something that was a pine tree, actually. Yeah. And that was not a minus for me. What do we have? Uh, this is uh, it's a pretty fancy candle. It's along the lines of the Ralph Lauren holiday candle. Uh, the name of the company is Maison Francis Kirkjian. And the, uh, the fragrance is they call Mombo Sapin, S-A-P-I-N. And on the website, it says King of the Forest. I <laughs> were king of the forest. <laughs> but it is, uh, it is a balsam fur smelling candle and it is crisp it is not uh it is not that weird you know uh uh syrupy enveloping sort of fake pine smell that so many candles do it doesn't smell like pine salt this is this is a very bright crisp smelling candle if that can be described as a smell um and it's it's piney in a way that makes you feel like you're in uh a frozen Forest. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, actually, I looked it up. Mombo Sapin is it, it. It literally translates to "my Christmas tree," but it is also the French title of uh, Otanenbaum. Ah, okay. So we sing "Oh Christmas Tree" and they sing "Mombo Sapin, Mombo Sapin." Uh, their language always sounds better. <laughs> both these candles sound amazing. I'm going to buy both of them for sure. I, look, I think Christmas makes hand soap and candles smell the best they do all year. No question. I went on a rampage at Target the other day, and I did bring home some hand soap. (laughs) If my hand can't smell like peppermint, then I'm doing the holiday wrong. I was a little disappointed that Method, because 2020 being 2020, decided not to go into their holiday scents this year. But uh, the Method Hollyberry hand soap, I'm a fan. I didn't know they had a holiday line. Not this year, they don't. (laughs) Oh, that's too bad. Hopefully next year. Missed opportunity. Yeah. Well, it's not, will we say both those candles are, are wicks up? What's oh, up? for sure. Fully. All the wicks. Lots Great of wicks. choices. Good gift ideas as well. Some, squeezing some cozy gifts there. Mm-hmm. I love giving a fancy candle to somebody for Christmas because um, unlike that SNL, uh, that song sketch <laughs> about the candle that no one wants, 
I like to give people a high-end candle that they wouldn't buy for themselves because you mm-hmm. look at a candle like that and you think, mm, that smells amazing. Oh, my God, look at how much it costs. That's why it's a perfect gift because then someone gives it to you and you have a fancy candle that you didn't have to spend $75 on out of your own money. And you and and because they do tend to last longer, uh, you get to luxuriate it in it for longer than you would, you know, like something that you that you picked up, you know, for a song, uh, but that burns down real quick. I 100% agree. And I do find that natural sense, like cranberries and trees are just more appealing in a, to a broader sense, like, then I think the candle that people always are re-gifting are like very niche scents, like that are very perfumey or yeah. right. toffee yeah. pudding. Right. <laughs> I'd take your candle any day. That sounds like a wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah, we're cheapskates until Christmas, and then we we crank it out for the fancy candle. I'm like, you know what? It's time. Yeah. Well, thank you for always coming correct. You're the guests that bring their own candles, and that, and that's <laughs> <I know>. amazing. <laughs> there should be all. Are there all candle podcasts? There ought to be. <laughs> It's, it's a hard it's a hard medium for candle <laughs> reviewing. True, audio <laughs> doesn't quite do it justice. No, it's maybe the worst medium for candle <laughs> reviewing. But darn it, we have a corner on it, and so we're gonna we're gonna keep it. <laughs> to wind down, we have a few shout outs to share. Um, we have a couple of reviews from iTunes that we're really happy to get. Nee Maria said, "I found this podcast when Matt and Jillian did a crossover with my other favorite podcast, Murder We Spoke. Now that I'm I'm a stay at home mom to a toddler and an infant during a pandemic." I crave adult company so much. Matt and Jillian are true breaths of fresh air. I mean, who doesn't need fresh air after smelling your own mask breath for months on end? <laughs> I love that review. It's so specific that, and very accurate. It makes us feel special and it's really funny on its own. So thank you for that review. Fantastic. We also got another review by Senor Kennedy who wrote, I found this podcast on accident during quarantine by searching the word cozy and podcast. A surprising number of our, of our listeners come that way. We should probably do better advertising, but we're, we're glad we get you f- through the generic cozy search. It couldn't have come at a better time. I look forward to hearing each new topic and often look like a crazy person laughing alone in my car. The topics are always soft and uplifting and just what we need right now. Highly recommend. Thank you for your wonderful review and we're glad that we can make you laugh with our cozy antics. Yeah, and thank you to Gretchen for becoming our newest patron. And also thank you to Kathleen Kelly for leaving us a five-star review and posting a really sweet comment in our Facebook group, which you should join because there's a lot of cozy content daily. We're really grateful to have such a wonderful community listening to our show. Um, you're all the best. Thank you for listening. Thank you. And thank you to Dave and Alonzo for joining us for this episode. Yeah. It was such a fun opportunity to catch up and talk about holiday movies. Thank you. Thank you so much. Always a delight. We love being here. Thank you. Where can people follow up with you to hear more of your film reviews? We know you have the Linoleum Knife podcast, which I highly recommend listening to. Check it out immediately. Where else can folks find you? Uh, well, if you want to follow us both on Twitter, uh, we, we, you know, we, we link to what's going on. I'm at a Duralde, a D is in David, U R A L D E. And Dave is at D Leland, L E L A N D white. Um, you know, I, uh, I write for the rap.com where I'm reviews editor. Uh, I also co-host the breakfast all day, a film and a movie and who shot your podcasts. And, uh, you know, if you want to check us out on, uh, we, we have a, we have a couple of Instagram accounts, you know, Linoleum Cast for, for on Twitter and Instagram for the podcast. But really, the action for this audience is DXAX Tree, where you can keep up with all of our Christmas ornaments. I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. It's a great account. You won't regret it. Well, thank you both again. It was wonderful having you. 
we'll be back in your ears in a couple more weeks with more cozy Christmassiness. We'll be talking about a cozy mystery with a Christmas theme. We're very excited to do that. I hope you all are having a very happy holiday, and we'll see you next time. Until then, stay cozy. Yeah.